Bayfields Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Hunger Games. Today's message by lead pastor David Fossil is wrestling with the Father and focuses our attention on getting a biblical and theological understanding of what it means to be blessed. Listen as Pastor Dave opens the story of Jacob and Esau for us and gives us some pointers on how to get God's blessing and shows us some things that keep us from enjoying those blessings. Someone sneezes and you say, God bless you. You bump into a friend at the supermarket, uh, you catch up for a little bit, and as they're leaving, you say, have a good day. God bless you, right? Uh, the whole family gets together, there's a big meal, maybe it's a Thanksgiving meal, the turkey's there, and the cranberry there, and the stuffing is there, and, and, and the head of the home kind of turns to someone around the table and says, let's hold hands, and would you mind blessing the food? We, we've taken this Bible word to bless or blessing, and uh, we have used it, we have transformed it to mean, hey, I hope you have a good day, I hope you're okay, you know, God, please make the food taste good. That's how we've kind of used the word blessing, right? Now, I, I don't think there's anything wrong when someone sneezes, you say, God bless you. I, I don't think it's wrong, okay? But the, we, we are having running into a little bit of a problem, because our, our series, Hunger Games, is based upon a verse and the, one of the primary themes of the verse is this idea of blessing. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It is one of the Beatitudes. It's found in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the theme verse for our series. And Jesus says to every single one of us here this morning, first word, there it is, blessed. You will receive a blessing if you hunger and you thirst for righteousness you will be satisfied. You will be filled to the point of contentment, right? Now, what we're going to do, uh, what we did last week is we talked about how do you develop a spiritual appetite. If you weren't here, go online, listen to the podcast. I think it'll catch you up. It'll be helpful to you. Today, we're just going to drill down and figure out what that first word means. How do I get that? How do I get to be blessed? Or how do I get God's blessing in my life. That's what we're going to talk about. To do that, if you have a Bible, turn to the first book of the Bible, chapter 32, Genesis chapter 32. And what we're going to do is uh, we are going to look at a story in the life of a guy called Jacob. Genesis chapter 32. It starts out, like I told you, the, the, the guy we're going to look at this morning, Jacob, went on his way, it says, and the angels of God met with him. Then Jacob saw them and he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Now, if you don't know the story of Jacob and all you do is look at these first verses tucked away in, in Genesis chapter 32, what you can conclude is, oh my goodness, this guy seems pretty spiritual. This guy seems pretty godly. I mean, angels are meeting with him, right? And then he, then he, you know, kind of takes a, a banner or a flag and puts it, puts it in the, in his camp. He goes, this camp, it's the camp of God. Man, he's pretty spiritual, right? What you, what you need to understand is that he was a punk. If you want an example of righteousness, you do not look at the life of Jacob. His life was exactly the opposite. His life was a life of unrighteousness for so long. There's a pivot point in his life, and we're going to look at that. But, but if we go back to our theme verse, let's put it up there. The, the three primary ideas, right, are, are to be blessed, 
to live for righteousness and the promise of satisfaction, right? But Jacob lives completely the opposite. This would be Jacob's way of saying Matthew chapter 5, 6, the opposite. You're in deep doo-doo. If you live unrighteously, because eventually it will catch up with you and your life will be hard and sucky. Now, let me just apologize, because I could have probably said it more eloquently, right? More politely. But as I was at my computer and I was doing my study, I decided I can't say it more clearly, though. And I chose that language because it's a language. I think you get the point, right? You have a choice. You can either choose to be blessed by God or be in deep doo-doo. There's no middle ground. That's your choice. You can choose to live for righteousness or choose to live for unrighteousness. You could choose to have your life filled and satisfied. By the way, it doesn't say successful, but filled and satisfied. Or eventually you will get to the point where you look at your life and you're like, my life seems pretty hard. My life seems kind of sucky. You see, the, the, left, the left side of the screen is what Jesus hopes that his followers will live for. The right side of the screen is the life of Jacob. And so what we're going to do is in this chapter, in chapter 32, uh, he actually receives a blessing from God. Okay, but but be, but before we, we understand what's happening here uh, to give you context, okay, because chapter 32, if you have your Bible, I'm using the same one that you got in the chair in front of you. The top says Jacob prepares to meet Esau. That's chapter 32. Esau and Jacob are twin brothers. But there's going to be a whole lot of ch- tension going on in chapter 32. Why? Go to the left and, and look at chapter 27. If you have your Bibles open, it's going to be helpful. Because in chapter 27, look at the title of Genesis chapter 27. It says there in, in this Bible, the, the church pew Bible here, it says, Jacob takes Esau's blessing. Now let me help you understand. There are two twins, Jacob and Esau. But Esau was the eldest by a couple minutes. That's how it works with twins. Someone's got to be the oldest. That was Esau. Which meant, by, by Jewish law and by biblical law, he was to receive the inheritance. He was to receive the blessing. There's huge advantage to being the eldest in, in the context of what's going on biblically. There comes a point in time, boys grow up, dad gets to be a certain age, Isaac, and Isaac says, I'm getting old. I can barely see, I can barely hear, I'm going to die really soon. So he calls the eldest, Esau, and he says, he says, you know what, here's what's going to happen. Uh, it's about time for me to confer the blessing to you. It, it's about time uh, for me to give you spiritual authority and spiritual leadership. Okay, so what we're going to do is I want you to go out and I want you to make a meal. I want you to, uh, to to hunt. I want you to catch wild game, come back, cook it. We'll have a big meal and then I will give you the blessing. And Esau's like, that's awesome. Let's do that. So off Esau goes and he starts to hunt, right? The problem is that the mom, Rebecca and Jacob are hearing what's going on. Rebecca likes Jacob more. So they come up with this elaborate plan. They're going to make a meal. They're going to make Jacob sound like and smell like and feel like the older brother Esau. And so they do that. They come back to dad and Jacob steals the blessing. Isaac blesses the youngest, Jacob, instead of Esau. Esau comes back. He makes a meal. He comes to dad and dad's like, "Uh uh-oh, I knew something was wrong. I'm sorry, Esau, you don't get the blessing. Now, I want to show you one verse. Look at verse 41. Genesis 27, verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob. Duh. 
He held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. In other words, my dad's about ready to die. And after he dies, check it out, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now, let me give you some idea and some context. Esau was a man's man. I mean, he could roof the house. He could renovate the bathrooms. He could do a transmission job on the side. He didn't need to go to the gym to work out. No, he had those muscles from working. He was a man's man. His nickname was Big Red. That's Esau. Big Red, what's going on, baby? Going hunting. Going hunting, right? Jacob, on the other hand, you know what it says about Jacob? He liked to hang out by the tents. I don't even have to tell you anything else. Do you hear it? He was a mama's boy, right? He, he liked to cook, right? He would, when his brother went hunting, he would stay back and watch reruns of Downtown Abbey. I mean, that's Jacob, right? So when Esau says, I'm going to kill you, that's not an empty threat. Oh, no, no, no. See, see, what you need to understand is Esau was good with a gun. Jacob was good with the skillet. Rock, paper, scissors. Rock beats scissors. Scissors beats paper. Gun beats skillet. I'm going to take you out. Jacob gets the blessing. But the consequences is that he, he has to go into exile and is in exile for over 20 years. He never sees his mother again. He divides the family and his brother wants to kill him. You know, what's interesting. Just a little side note. Sometimes it's possible to get what you want. And then not want what you got because you got it the wrong way. It's possible to get exactly what you want and then not want what you got because you got it the wrong way. You know what's sad about this whole deal? God had already told Rebecca that Jacob was going to get the blessing. I know it's not supposed to work that way. I know it's supposed to be Esau, the eldest, but I'm going to give the blessing to Jacob. I want to convince my people for all generations that what I'm going to give you, you don't deserve. I'm going to give it to Jacob. But Jacob was impatient, decided to go on his own, go on plan B and rush God, as do many of us. And by doing that, he messed things up. So if you now transition back to 32, Jacob and Esau have not seen each other for 20 some years. The last thing he heard from his brother is, I'm going to kill you. So go back to chapter 32 and pick up the story in verse 3. And here's what we read. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir in the county of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you're to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says... I have been staying with Laban, uh, Laban, that's his father-in-law. I have remained there until now. Now I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goat, uh, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I might find favor in your eyes. Skip to verse 13. Go find 13 on the next page. It says, Jacob, verse 13, spent the night there. And from that, from what we had, uh, uh, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, 
when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a gift sent by my Lord Esau uh, to my Lord Esau. And he is coming behind us. He instructed the second group and the third group and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to my brother Esau when you meet him. Verse 20. And be sure you say your servant or slave Jacob is coming behind us for he thought I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead later when we when I see him perhaps he will receive me verse 21 so Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him but he himself spent the night in camp now what I want to do is I want to show you this is all the things he does and says let's put it on the screen to try and appease his brother and what I want to do is I want to show you not what he says but what he means by what he says so when he he says say to my lord Esau Esau's not his lord it's his bro it's his brother what is he doing he's just brown nosing and kissing up that's what he's doing when he says to his brother tell him that now I have cattle and donkeys and, and servants what is he saying he wants his brother Esau to know, you know what? I don't need dad's inheritance anymore. I don't need the blessing anymore. I, I, you know, I've made it really good in business. And so I'm loaded. I don't need it anymore. When he says, I hope I find favor in your eyes. He's saying to his brother, can we please stop playing family feud? Because someone's going to get hurt. Okay. When he says, I'm going to give a gift to my brother Esau. I counted. He gives all these animals, 505 animals. It is not a gift. It is a bribe. That's what he's trying to do. He says, your servant or slave Jacob is coming. What is he saying? You the man, Esau. You the man. Okay, you're in charge. I hope this will pacify him. He's trying to sweet talk him. And in the end, he does all these things and gives him all these things. Jacob spent the night in the camp, which means I'm scared. I'm not sure this is going to work out. So after doing and saying all these things, what do you think happened? Well, we're told what happened. Let's put the next verse up there. Verse six, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he's coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Guess what that means? Someone's getting a beat down. Esau's going to take him out. I remember the last time I saw you, brother. And I haven't forgotten. Here's what I want to do. This is this is all just trying to get us to this. If you, if you want to jot down notes, what I want to do is I want to give you five, six steps. How do I get a blessing? How do I get God's blessing? Four or five things that I really want to nail down with you. First thing is you got to get alone with God and you, you got to make it personal. Right after doing all these things and saying all these things and giving all these gifts, here's what we read. That night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives some of you are thinking, by the way, I, I'm going to deal with that in another series. You know, some new guys thinking, I like this church. How do I get me some of that action? No, you're not going to get none of that. It's one wipe right now. That night I got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And Jacob was left alone. I ran into a, a study once on educational theory. It was a study trying to analyze how people learn, 
how we grow intellectually. And, and, and the argument of this paper was one of the things is you have to have different formats and different sizes of groups. And it works the same with your spiritual growth. So, for example, you need to have a big group meeting. You know what that's called? Sunday morning church. Whether it's 500 people or 5,000 people, the setting, it, what we have right now, and the way that we're teaching and learning is a unique way. A big, large group. And then what you'd like to have is a group of eight to ten, a small group. We literally call them at Bay Hills small groups. They're Bible studies. They meet in living rooms. And what you learn in a living room going back and forth and talking to people is completely different to what you learn in a big group. In the big group, one dude, me, gets to do all the talking. In a smaller group, in a living room, it's back and forth. And you learn differently. The problem is too many of us as Christians do just the big group. And then the small group, and we forget the miniature group. You and God. You do that last one, you get alone. And if you're not getting alone with God, if you're not picking up your Bible for 10, 15 minutes a day and listening to him and talking to him, I'm telling you, you're not receiving the blessing. You're not receiving the power that God wants for your life. No way, no how. You need all three. The big group, the small group, and the just me and God group. It's so significant. But when I say that, please understand. You got to get along with God and then you got to make it personal. That's the whole point to get along with him. Right? There's an interesting verse tucked away at the beginning of chapter 32 that really caught my attention. It was this one right here. Let's put it up there. In verse 9, Jacob is in trouble. He knows Esau wants to kill him and he starts praying. And notice how he addresses God. Oh, God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, Lord, you have said to me, let me just stop right there. I don't have to read anything else. Do you see what I see? Why doesn't he say, oh, God, my God, personal pronoun. Why does he say, oh, God of my grandpa, Abraham, oh, God of my dad, Isaac, You know why? Because he doesn't have that personal relationship with God. You you do realize God doesn't have grandchildren, right? Only children. When my kids get to heaven and and they're asked, why should should we let you in? They're not going to be able to say, well, dad was a pastor. It's not going to fly. And it, it won't fly for you either. I don't care how godly your grandparents are. I don't care how godly your parents are. It's going to be you. It's got to be personal. Why is this such a big deal? We kind of say the same thing different ways every week. If you don't do this, you're in deep trouble. Nothing else matters. And, And how it impacts you, how when you get God inside of you will impact how you relate to the rest of the world. Let, let me let me show you a little example in illustration. Let's just say this represents someone's life. And what happens is as, as you go through life, uh, life starts to grab a hold of you and it pressures and it crushes and it squeezes. And the reality is that some of us this morning, we feel like this. It feels like, like life is like squeezing us and crushing us. But what I'd like to suggest is that some of us, however, we're more so like this can. And, 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 and life still starts to squeeze and it starts to, and it might dent us up a little bit, but, but it doesn't crush us. But why? These are, these cans are made out of the same material. 
I'm putting as much pressure on one as I'm putting on the other. Why is one crushed and the other isn't? You know the answer. Because one of them's empty and one of them's full of liquid. Do you realize it works the same way with people? It's not that we have different problems. It's not that some of us have harder lives than, than others. It, it, the issue is not the pressure that comes outside in the world. Whether or not you're crushed is based upon the power that's inside of you. And if you are filled with God, the Holy Spirit, and you are filled with the power and the presence of God, it, life will still pressure you. And you may still get a couple dents. But in the end, you're going to look a little bit more like that than like that. And the key is you've got to be alone with God and your faith has to be a personal faith. It has that big of an impact. The story goes on. Let's move on. In verse uh, 24, here's what we read. It says, so Jacob was left alone and, quote unquote, a man wrestled with him till daybreak. This is one of the strangest, weirdest stories in the entire Bible. And it gets weirder. Right. We are told later on in the chapter who this quote unquote man is. We're told verse 28, you have struggled with God. Verse 30, we're told Jacob called the place Peniel saying it's because I saw God face to face. This man is nothing else than God in, in, in flesh form. You go, what is going on here? Very simply, here's what's happening. God is simply putting flesh to the inner struggle that Jacob has had his entire life with other people, with his family, his brother, his dad, and with God. Jacob, you've been fighting and wrestling your entire life. By the way, it started at birth. Remember I told you they were twins, right? And the midwife is there and she's saying to Rebecca, push! Push and out comes Esau and guess what happens right behind Jacob has got his brother holding him by the ankle He's like, I don't think so (laughs) And and the midwife's like check this out. This is the craziest thing i've ever seen you talk about sibling rivalry Right from the womb So they decided hey, let's call him heel grabber. It's gonna be funny Right guess what heel grabber is it's the word jacob they thought this is going to be hilarious. Well, remember when they were born, heel grab. Remember when you hold out your brother? The problem is, is that Jacob isn't, isn't reflected as a heel grabber just when he's born. That word means heel grabber or deceiver. And that's who he was for his whole life, holding on and pushing back and pulling back and fighting his dad and fighting his parents and fighting his coach and fighting his boss and fighting anyone and everyone, especially fighting God with a me first mentality. How about you? You fighting God? You wrestling with God? Every once in a while, someone will come up to me and they'll say something like this. Oh, pastor, my life is so hard. Oh, it seems it's so hard. Now, sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes if I had the guts, what I'd like to say to them is, you know why it's so hard? Because you're fighting with God. Do you know why your finances are in such a crap place? Because you're doing everything opposite of what this book says you should do with money. You know why your relationships are falling apart? 
Because God says you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. You shouldn't be living with your boyfriend and a girlfriend. That's why your relationship are a mess. You want to know why your career is a mess? Because you're doing everything opposite of what this book says, how you should treat your coworkers and your boss. You, you want to know what, why, why your, your health is a mess? Because you're not treating your body like the temple of the Holy Spirit. You want to know why life is so hard? Because you're wrestling God. It has nothing to do with how hard it is out there and has everything to do with you're fighting God. You're fighting God. Suggestion? Maybe it's time to stop. Maybe the struggles we have in life is really just because outside those doors, it, it's tough. Instead of God, by the way, what's interesting, who initiates, who initiates the fight? God does. God shows up and picks a fight with Jacob. Do you want that? I don't want God picking a fight with me. Why does God do that? Because God is incredibly and forever committed to your growth. And he will not leave you where you are. So stop wrestling and fighting with God. Verse 25, the story goes on. And here's what we read. Let's put it up there. Then the man said, let go of me for it's daybreak. They're fighting all night long. By the way, the, the idea that they're fighting, dads, do you remember when you used to wrestle with your seven-year-old? You know, and you'd give them, you'd give them the idea like, oh, you got me, you pinned me. But down deep, you know, at any point in time, you can take them out, right? You know that that's what's going on here. The man, God said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. One of my favorite stories about blessing and what it means and what it doesn't mean. Someone emailed me this a while back. It says, as a Baptist pastor went to the racetrack one afternoon, and when he got there, he saw a Catholic priest from his neighborhood. The priest walked over by one of the horses and then stopped to make the sign of the cross right in front of the head of one of the horses as if he was blessing the horse. The Baptist pastor then noticed that the blessed horse won the next race. Curious, he watched the old priest very closely, being careful not to be seen. Sure enough, right before the next race, he saw the priest uh, go over to one of the horses. And once again, the, the priest blessed one of the horses. And like in the first race, the blessed horse won the second race. Uh, race. The Baptist pastor thought to himself, wow, I'm really onto something here. I'm going to watch that priest, and in the next race, I'll place a small wager on the horse he blesses. Sure enough, the priest did this once again. He blessed the horse. The Baptist pastor placed a small bet on the blessed horse, and lo and behold, the horse won. The Baptist pastor was ecstatic. Wow, what a discovery. For the next couple of races, he, dis he discreetly made wages, uh, wagers on the horses the priest blessed and won every time. Totally overwhelmed with excitement, the pastor decided in the next race... He would bet his entire life savings on the horse the priest blessed. He quietly followed the priest, being very careful not to be seen. As, and as before, the priest stopped in front of one horse, made the sign of the cross. But this time, the priest even anointed the horse with oil, grabbed the horse's ears, looked into the horse's eye, and prayed a prayer. The pastor then wagered his entire life savings on the blessed horse. Unfortunately, the horse didn't win. In fact, the horse fell over during the race and died. Obviously, ben, um, the pastor was very upset and went looking for the priest. When he found him, he ran up and he said to him, I've been watching you all day. And up until this last race, every horse you blessed finished first. 
in this last race, I placed my entire life savings on the horse. I saw you bless and the horse finished dead last. He died. Thanks to you. I lost everything. The old priest looked at, at his colleague and he said, that's the problem with you Baptists. You can't tell the difference between a simple blessing and the last rites. <laughs> Can you? Here's what happens with Jacob. Somewhere be- in here, he realizes he's not just wrestling against some guy at his campsite. Somehow or another, he makes the connection and he realizes I'm wrestling against God. And he transitions between fighting God and wrestling with God to clinging on to him and desperately saying, I will not let go until you bless me. This might be the the appropriate time um, to, to make sure we all understand what does this word blessed mean in the Bible? Here's what it means. It means that God gives you spiritual favor. It means that he gives you spiritual responsibility. He gives you spiritual wealth, spiritual authority and spiritual protection. Now, sometimes it, it could mean uh, it could mean financial favor. It could mean career wealth. It could mean educational responsibility. Sometimes it can mean that. But every time, for sure, it means this. And that's why when, when, when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, what he is saying is if you get that, you will be fully contented in life. You will get everything and more of what you really wanted. But you need the blessing. See, finally, Jacob gets it. Finally, Jacob realizes it's one thing to be blessed by dad. It's one thing to be blessed by educationally and be the smartest one in the class. It's one thing to be blessed in my career and, and have a, be the boss. It's one thing to be blessed financially and drive a really nice car and live in a really nice house. It's one thing to, to be blessed athletically and be the superstar on the team. It's one thing to be blessed by my friends and be, be really popular. And then it's quite a completely different thing to be blessed by God. And I'm going to hold on to you, God. Until you bless me. So don't tap out. As spiritually immature as Jacob was. He really was determined. And he persevered. And you do the same. Don't tap out. Don't tap out. It becomes tricky though. Because as the story goes on. And as we talk about continued blessing. Verse 27 and 28 talk to us about. Really owning up to who we are. The man we now know as God asked him, what's your name? Now just stop right there before you keep reading on. Does God really not know who he is? Of course he knows who he's wrestling. He's not asking Jacob because he doesn't know his name. He's asking because he's trying to teach him. What's your name? You have to imagine a long pause before he answers. Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. It'll be Israel because you have struggled with God and you've and with humans and have overcome. I'm going to talk to you about the significance of the names in a minute. Let me just start by asking you, have you ever um, heard of someone's name and glad that you weren't called that name or your parents didn't name you that? Have you ever met someone that had maybe a strange name or you felt uncomfortable calling them that name? Has that ever happened to you? Happened to me this summer when it, when, when Jessica and I were in Africa. We uh we were in Kenya, 
we were in, uh, we went to South Africa. We went to this place in Johannesburg, just outside of Johannesburg called Nelspert. We went to this, this really nice church and, um, they had that we did a great conference there, but the host pastor, he's an African pastor. He, he introduces himself and he says this, he introduces himself and he says, my name is Negro Manana. And I'm, excuse me. He goes, my name is Negro Manana. And so I was like, good to meet you, Negro. And as soon as I said that, my daughter, Jessica, was like, I can't believe he said that. You know, we got back to the hotel. Like, I, I, I felt dirty saying it. I don't think I could do that anymore. You know, all I could think about is my good friend Terrence. Being, you not call, call me that word, right? So I decided instead of calling him by his first name, I was going to call him by his second name. Okay, his second name was Manana. So I was going to call him Pastor Manana, except I kept messing up and calling him Pastor Banana. You know, they can't wait for this white guy to leave, right? Incredibly awkward for me. Your name matters. You know what God's doing right here with Jacob? He doesn't want to know his name. He wants to know, are you willing to admit who you are? Who are you? What's on the inside of you? What's your name? And finally, Jacob admits. I'm a heel grabber. I'm a deceiver. I'm a supplanter. You see, here's what we need to understand. We need to understand that God is unwilling to bless us until we admit who we are and are willing to make changes to become who he wants us to be. I don't want you to be Jacob. I don't want you to be the heel grabber anymore. You know what I want you to be? You willing to make some changes with me? From now on, your new name is going to be Israel. Your new name means God prevails. Your new name means God rules. Your new name means you're a prince of God. That's who you are now. You know, it's almost as if God is saying to, to Jacob, you're not ready to face the problems in the world. Esau. Until you're willing and ready to face the problems within you. You can't do it. It's time for some of us to admit our name. It's time for some of us to change our name. God asks, what's your name? My name is temper. My name is lust. But I, I, my new name, I want it to be redeemed. What's your name? My, my name is pride. My name is liar. But I want my new name to be sanctified. What's your name? My, my name is worry. My name is materialism. I want my new name to be righteousness. What's your name? My name is porn. My name is drunkenness. My name is drugs. I want my new name to be purity. What's your name? Who wants a new name? You see, God isn't going to bless you until you're willing to go from Jacob to become Israel. Until you're willing to be, go from being a deceiver to someone who says, God rules in my life. You've got to have the guts and the courage to admit who you are. Have the guts and courage to admit who you are. It goes on, verse 31. We're getting close to wrapping it up, and here's what we read. Verse 31, let's put the next slide up there. At the beginning... In verse 25, it says, when I said, when the man saw that he would not win the match, God is wrestling with him. It says he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. So they're wrestling and God says, okay, enough of this. And he takes his pinky and he touched Jacob and boom, he dislocates his, his hip, right? Because that's what God can do. By the way, 
little tangent. How old do you think or how old did you picture Jacob wrestling with God? Just in your mind while we were talking. How old do you think he is? Kind of in his 30s, 20s. You, know, you want to know how old he is? He's 97. No wonder his hip went out. You know, he's not like one of the kids up on stage. You guys see him dancing and jumping up and down. Weren't they good? Yeah, I was in the back. I was tired just watching him. I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> he's 97, which by the way, a little detail. You're never too old to give your life to Jesus. You're ever too old to change, be transformed and redeemed. Well, you can't teach an a, 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 a old dog new tricks. The problem is you're not a dog and I'm not trying to teach you tricks. I'm trying to teach you how to be more righteous, right? And so he has this situation where he, he gets all jacked up in his hip. And for the rest of his life, it says in verse 31, he was limping. See, here's a couple things you need to understand about spiritual growth and righteousness. One is that it's painful. I don't, don't ever believe someone who tells you the Christian life is easy and painless. It's one of the most difficult things you will do. One of the most difficult strenuous things you will do. When I say painful, I don't necessarily mean physically painful. I mean relationally painful. I mean spiritually painful. I mean, in some cases, financially painful. It's kind of It's hard. Expect it to be hard. You know, it's like an athlete who wants to make their muscles stronger. You literally have to strain your muscles to increase your muscles. That same thing happens with your soul. I was reading the story of a missionary who worked um, trying to help kids in the sewers in a city in South America. And he would go into the sewers and these kids were, their hands, their arms, their hair was filled with the excrement of, uh, of the thousands of homes in the city nearby. And he would come and he would try and feed them and he'd try and encourage them. And it, it, he would also try and get them out and change who they were and their lifestyle. And he said he, every once in a while he would able to convince a couple of them to leave the sewers. And as they were leaving the sewers and coming closer to the surface, the, the sunlight would begin to, they'd begin to be exposed and they begin to realize what they look like. And he says the closer they got to the surface, the more self-conscious they became, the more embarrassed they became. And he says the sad part is that every once in a while, some of those kids would turn around and go back into the sewers because they couldn't bear the thought of letting other people see what they really look like. And I thought, you know, some of us are the same way. You, you, you can't get clean until you're willing to get out of the filth. You can't get clean until you're exposed to the light of God's word. And the more you're exposed to the light of God's word and the more you realize how filthy sin really is, the more you're aware of your condition. It's going to be painful, but it's the perfect place to be if you want a new name. A new name. Spiritual growth is painful, but it's noticeable. For the first 97 years of his life, every time they call him, Hey, Jake the Snake, what's going on, baby? What's going on, big deceiver? Heel grabber. For the rest of his life, every time they saw him, What's going on, Israel? What's going on? God rules in your life. They could see it. See, here's my point. Don't let anyone tell you that the Christian walk is meant to be private. If your coworkers don't know, 
and your classmates don't know, and your family doesn't know that you're following Jesus as best you can, I'm just telling you, there's a problem. I'm not saying you've got to wear Christian t-shirts and every time something happens, you say, praise Jesus. Or, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when they look at you, when they see you, when they hear you and observe you, there's something inside of them that goes, I can't put a finger on it, but they're different. We all walk one way, they walk another way. Why? Because spiritual growth and righteousness is noticeable. People can see it in you. I was looking at the study guide this morning. Point number six isn't really a point. It's just a conclusion. We've gone over different ways to be blessed. We've looked at the life of Jacob. But it's so interesting to me what happens when you get to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is, starts out with the story of, of a guy called Moses. And Moses you know, uh, is the prince of Egypt. Right. And he gets kicked out and and he's in the wilderness and God comes to him and God says, you know, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to talk to the Pharaoh. I want you to free my people and let them go. And Moses is self-conscious. He says, "Okay, I'll do it. But when I go back, the Israelites aren't going to listen to me. Who shall I say is sending me? It's the burning bush story. And, and, And something something that God says to him just caught me. And I think it's pretty powerful. Watch this. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me. What time on? What do you mean? What do you mean? The God of Jacob? I, I thought you changed his name. I thought you changed it from Jacob to Israel. Why don't you say the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Israel has sent me to you? Why is it the God of Jacob? This is long after Jacob is gone. I thought you changed his name. You want to know what I think is going on here? God wants to make sure that every single one of his followers knows and is reminded. He, he's not just the God of Israel. He's, he's not just the God of the people who are following him perfectly. He's the God of Jacob. He, he's not just the God of your good side. He's the God of your bad side as well. He's not just the God of your of your successes. He's the God of your struggles. He's not just the God of your victories. He's the God of your defeats. He's not just the God when you obey him, when you follow him, when you live for him, when you witness for him. He's also the God of all all of our filthy sin. He's the God of Jacob. He's my God. And he's your God. Because some of us are sitting here and we know that on the inside we're not behaving. We're not the kind of people that God wants us to be. And God says, don't, don't worry about it. I'm the God of Jacob as well. You just keep moving in the right direction. Don't ever let a pastor, don't ever let a church, don't ever let anyone else try and tell you that you have to live a perfect life to make a difference in the kingdom of God. That's not true. Because he's the God of Jacob as well. Go and be blessed by God. Be blessed. Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed. What I want to encourage you is to take a minute right now and try and figure out, am I really being blessed by God? Am I in a position to be blessed by God? Are you taking time to be alone with him Monday through Saturday? Are you the kind of person that trusts God? Are you the kind of person that's always wrestling and fighting with God? 
Are you the kind of person that perseveres and is determined in their faith? Or the one who gives up easy? Are you the one who is willing to admit flaws and areas you need to work on? Or the one who pretends to be something different? Are you the one who is public in your faith? Or the one who just keeps it private so no one knows? Take a moment right now and try and figure out, am I in a position, have I put my life in a position to be blessed? Maybe you're here today and maybe you realize I need a new name. I've never fully and completely given my life to Jesus Christ. I want a new name. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want you in your own heart right now to pray this prayer. Dear God, I believe that your son Jesus was your son, that he lived a perfect life and he died a perfect death. Dear God, as best as I know how, I accept Jesus today as the Savior of my soul, the Savior of my sins. And this morning, I accept him as the Lord of my life, the boss of my life. From this day forward, you get to decide what happens. You get to decide what I do and how I behave. And I will do the very best that I can to follow you. Father, for everyone who prayed that prayer for the first time, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would remind them that even though sometimes we act like Jacob, that you have plans to turn us into someone who behaves like Israel. Someone who allows God to rule in our lives and to direct our lives. Father, thank you for who you are. Father, as we wrap up our study time, as a church we've been praying and fasting and praying the prayer of of Jabez, where we too as a congregation ask that you would bless this church. Father, we pray that you would give us spiritual favor. Father, we ask that you would enlarge our territory. Of course, the obvious, Father, is that you would give us a building. But beyond that, Father, we pray that you would enlarge our influence that we would have an impact on this community and help as many people as you bring into our lives to help them take their step, their next step closer to Jesus. Father, more than anything else, we pray for your wisdom. We pray for your power. We pray for your discernment because we need you, Father. We love you and we trust you, but when we walk out of these doors, life can be challenging and it can be difficult. We want to be like the soda can that doesn't get crushed is filled with you help us be that kind of people help us be that kind of church we love you we pray this all in jesus name and all god's people said it's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had if you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about bay hills community church you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.